you're listening to Podiatry Marketing, conversations on building a successful podiatry practice with Tyson Franklin and Jim McDonald. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin and welcome back to Podiatry Marketing. With me is my co-host, Big Jim McDonald. How are you doing today, Jim? Tyson, I'm doing well here in uh, beautiful Montreal, <laughs> snowy Quebec. Uh, you know, I hear the jingle bells jingling oh, at that know. time of year. I love this yeah. time of year. It is. I, I really. I, I'm a really a big Christmas fan. I just. Uh, yeah. I, I get into the whole spirit of it. I love putting up. You know, putting the tree up, and and we have a train that goes around our tree that actually makes noise and has smoke. The puff smoke, and I think even when we have no kids in there. I will still set the train up because I just. Uh, I just love that Christmas. That Christmas spirit, and I've had some people recently that I've bumped into who uh, love that I call you Big Jim Mac. Well, I'm happy to hear that. That's uh, definitely not a nickname I've ever had. Obviously, you've never seen me in real life, so uh, I guess we'll, the listeners uh, will have to guess at some point maybe my, my, my height, my weight. You know, my, if they've seen the videos, right, they probably know yeah. that I'm you know, a lar- large man who works out on the daily. But, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate the nickname. It's, it's very fitting, I think. Well, you sound tall. <laughs> I've actually there was a I was I went to this podcast conference once and this guy that I'd known for a number of years on podcasting bumped into him in real life. He's like six foot ten. Wow. And I went, My God, I said, You look so much shorter on a podcast. Because <laughs> he's sitting down. And then I've had other people that I've met who I've had him on the podcast or seen him on video and they and they like they're thick set. Yeah, some of their big mustaches and all that. Yeah. And you bumped in there and they look like they're five foot two. And it's a lot harder to say, oh, you, you seem much taller on video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not the same kind of joke for sure. We're just average. So, Jim, what are we talking about today other than our height? Yeah, besides the height, weight, and uh, Christmas season, we're talking yes. about um, being deliberate about attracting right fit patients. Like, how do you go about doing that? Um, yeah, we're going to get into that today. And what do you mean by being deliberate? I think, you know, when we're starting off in practice, you know, we're kind of happy for anyone to show up at our door. Uh, we want to, you know, we don't necessarily have a, a clear vision of what we want our practice to be yet. And we're just looking for ways to pay our staff, pay our rent or pay for our building, yeah. um, pay back our student loans. Not that we're necessarily, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word desperate, but we're kind of open to whoever's willing to come and see us because we've been training for so long. Um, and now is the time to kind of like, uh, kind of recouping um, all that time, effort, um, delayed gratification with uh, kind of building the practice and kind of getting some revenue in the door. So I think that's um, that's kind of pe- where people start. And what happens, like I said, is you know there's not always a clear vision of the direction you want to take your practice. So you can kind of become by default, you kind of become a, a jack of all trades uh, within the profession or within the specialty, and not necessarily. Um, walking down kind of your ideal practice path. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong when you're first opening up your business seeing everybody because sometimes you may think, oh, this is the type of patient I really like. This is what I love about podiatry. But once you start being open to all parts of podiatry, because even at university you may not be as exposed to certain areas as much as what you would have liked, you might find all of a sudden warts is your thing. No, I think that's a good point. 
And, uh, you know, for example, I got into podiatry initially because I was a runner. I had lower leg injuries, some foot problems, you know, kind of got into some orthotics, which really helped me. Um, but then I know it was during, during school or during residency, you know, you're based out of a hospital, you're taking call, you're seeing patients in the hospital, you're doing surgeries a lot. And I wouldn't say I was initially seduced by surgery, but I felt like, well, now I'm like the surgeon. And while you can still do surgery on runners, like I maybe moved away a little bit further away from kind of initially what interested me in the practice mm. to get into practice. And kind of as I got back into practice, I, I enjoyed doing surgery and doing things like that. But I, I wanted to kind of move towards that sports medicine or that running medicine and kind of where I set myself up in practice that made it a little bit difficult of a transition. Um, but I think it's just knowing yourself and then, you know, like kind of like you said, you don't have to know right off the bat. Um, but probably the turning point for a lot of podiatrists is that their schedule is full and maybe they're seeing either patients that are coming with diagnosis, either that they aren't that excited about or um, really aren't getting the level of reimbursement um, that makes it worthwhile to have those types of patients or those types of diagnosis within the practice. Yeah, because I think there's a couple of, like you said, there's a path that you're going to go through and I think you must think, you must think about what steps you're going to take. Because I know when you set your clinic up, at some point you will start to get to capacity where it starts to fill up. And I know a lot of podiatrists straight away go, oh, I need to employ another podiatrist. And I'm like, no, I'll stop. Do you need to employ another podiatrist or do you need to just change the path and direction of your clinic a little bit? And start saying, well, I enjoy these these things, these nine out of 10 things. So I'm just going to make sure I'm doing that. And that other one out of 10, we're not going to do that anymore. And that may free up some capacity. And I think that's a step you should take before you start diving in straight out. Oh, I'm going to get another podiatrist. No, I think that's a de de deliberate, you know, stepping back and, and looking at the situation. Like you said, once you're kind of nearing capacity or getting close to capacity, you kind of really need to break it down to basically two things. Like, what do you want more of? And then what do you want less of? Yeah. And like saying that out loud seems like, oh, that's I obvious. Wish life was that yeah. Like, I wish life was that simple, Jim. I'll just like, yeah, of course. Like, I'll just get more of what I want and cut out. I want less more abs and want. less fat. It's but, easier but, said than done. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, yeah, you actually, one requires a you know a lot more time and effort, and one it, just it you know, get, getting the fat on um, just requires probably more calorie intake. But um, besides that that topic, um, but it still applies though. If you think about that, what you yeah. just said, then it still applies. One to get abs takes work. To get yeah. fat doesn't take a lot of work. You still got to work on it, but it it doesn't. It's not hard to do. <laughs> And I think working out what you like doing more of and concentrating on that is like trying to create the abs. It's going to take work to do that. Whereas just seeing everybody, well, it's easy. You can just sit back and see anybody that comes into your clinic. No, for sure. And I think it is, you kind of have to like take an approach where it's kind of like, what is that next action that's going to lead you to, to one of the, you know, to the kind of ideal result, you know, mm. not tomorrow, not the next week, but you know, months or, or years down the road. So you're kind of where you want to be at that point in time. Um, so kind of like understanding, you know, what are those, you know, actions that you can take, whether it's just, uh, you know, initially when you want something, you can put it, it's important to know what you want internally, but then it's how do you kind of communicate that to external stakeholders, to patients, to other healthcare providers, to, you know, if you want to treat like me, like I liked runners. So how do you let runners know? that you're available and skilled to help them with their problems. So part of it is like taking that internal what you want more of 
and then kind of putting it into the external world. And that's kind of, that's kind of that first step of getting probably more of what you want. One of a really good quote I saw was from this guy, Patrick McFadden, who's a marketing dude. And he was on my old podcast. And he said, all marketing does is give you, give you more of what you've already got. So if you want to change the type of patient you see, then you need to change your marketing. So you need to change the message you're putting in there. So like you said, if you want more runners, you can't keep saying, hey, I'm a general podiatrist. The, the something about running has got to be, you've got to change your marketing to start targeting the type of people you want more of. No, I think it's, yeah, that change is important. But I think it's also, I think people get a little bit afraid. Uh, like you don't need to go from like zero to a hundred you know, tomorrow, right? You don't have to make the change so rapid that it feels unsettling, not only for yourself, um, but for, you know, those in your community or those you've been practicing with. Like we talked about previously, just because you eliminate maybe, an, uh, let's say a diabetic foot wound or um, ingrown toenail section from your website, doesn't mean that people won't necessarily call you up and say, hey, do you do these things? Yeah. And maybe you still really, you still can do them and are willing to do them, but it's not the thing you're marketing or putting out there for public consumption. So I think that's an important component. You don't have to like, you know, do it so, you know, niche yourself so quickly or so dramatically that, um, that you're cutting these people off. But at the same time, you do have to be deliberate if you want to, if that's the path you want to move in. You know, if you're happy just kind of being, sifting through um, general podiatry patients and trying to find another way to filter um, out what you want to see and not see, that can be done. Um, but you're going to save yourself and your staff a lot of time and effort uh, on the front end by developing marketing, not only messages, but visual visualization, your branding, your logo, things that are in lockstep with that future goal or that path you want to walk down. So when you were saying that some people have a fear that they're going to miss out on something or they've got to almost like rip the Band-Aid off, okay, we're going to make this this dramatic pivot. It's not making a dramatic pivot. It's just slightly changing the angle. And it's like when they say a, a plane only needs to change a course one degree that you know, a couple of thousand miles later, it's in a completely different spot. So your business is pretty much the same. You only need to make a small change initially and in the long term, that will start making a big change to your business. No, for sure. And I think one example of that might be like maybe your website is there's certain aspects that look like a general podiatry uh, web page, but you have very targeted pages on that website that maybe you uh, do Google ads to or Facebook ads for. So you're doing a little bit something different on a different channel pointing back to the website that you own that does have authentic photos that shows you the expert in this thing, but maybe you're just not pushing as hard. Maybe it's not totally eliminating those things from the website, but just not making them as visible, or maybe they're lower down on that list of things that you do. So there's different levels, like, like I said, of making that pivot or that transition. You know, if you do live in a big, um, you know, area like a Chicago or Los Angeles or Boston or a big city, you know, you can get away with being much more niche than maybe you can in a smaller university town or a smaller, mm. um, smaller town. But there are different ways to highlight those things that you want to do. Like I said, by externalizing and communicating that skill set and those type of patients you want to see. Do you think it's fear? Like we said before, it's fear that stops people making this change. They're, they're so scared of, I've got my business going, I've got commitments, I've got bills. I'm too scared to sort of just either let something go. So give me an example. I was talking to someone just recently and I said, what's your ratio between biomechanical patients to routine care? 
and they said 80 20 i said oh that's right 80 percent bio 20 percent general yeah routine they went oh no the other way around 20 percent biomechanical 80 percent routine i went okay i said so it's monday if i rang your clinic today and i no no, it was tuesday i said if i ring your clinic today had a big weekend i did some stuff woke up monday morning oh my heel was just killing me was no better this morning so i said you should see a podiatrist i rang you up today when can i get an appointment he said, looked at his door, he said, about 10 days. I went, not good enough for me. I said, so you've just done all this marketing, Google has done all this stuff to tell me that you're the person I should see and I can't get an appointment with you for 10 days. I said, all you're doing is advertising for, your, for, the, for the new guy that's set up down the road. He's got all these free appointments. I said, so you've got to, you, you have to start massaging your diary to be able to get me in. And, and I said to him then, how many, do you know, when you know, do your online bookings, how many of your online bookings are biomechanical compared to routine? He said, oh, I, said, I don't know. I said, well, that's something else you've got to look at because it could be the same thing. You've, you've just got to massage the clinic so that you can fit in more of the, the things you're trying to build up. No, that's a really good point. I think, um, I don't think it's necessarily, I'm not saying that like all podiatrists are afraid. I don't think that's the case. I think it becomes when you're not deliberate about it and you're just kind of taking what comes your way, mm. I think that that's what a lot of people are dealing with is they haven't really stopped to think about what they really want um, and how they're going to kind of make that happen. It's like, it's kind of like the old, the old way of marketing, right? Like you put your head down, you work hard, those things are going to find their way to you. So I think that it kind of ties into like, the unwillingness to market in a way like it's 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 almost like a similar type of thought it's like i'm going to do these things and just see what kind of comes my way and like we talked about with the marketing with the website i think also they just like but most podiatrists know they need a website but they don't know the difference most podiatrists don't know there's been kind of a website that's kind of like a placeholder there's some kind of generic information that lives there that has yeah. their phone number kind of a, a form that people will call and try to make an appointment versus like a website that's like actively marketing what they want to do that builds trust that shows them as by far a leading expert in the local area for the type of care that they want to do and once they see that um that's kind of like that you know stock images versus you with a photo treating the patient you want to treat until you see that like that difference in a website or see that difference um the value or the kind of like there's really it's hard to have that aha moment because people are so busy in practice like like i most of our listeners today i'm like you know they're seeing 30 patients a day um then doing paperwork after work or Mm. on the weekends um i don't think it's a matter of these decisions are made out of fear it's just they're busy and they don't really they can't really fathom how some of these small changes or these deliberate actions to kind of building that ideal practice path like it does it it's it's like it just doesn't happen that way yeah well, i know when we were making like deliberate changes and instead of just letting everyone come in whenever they felt like it we started saying on these particular days when we plan ahead only this type of patient can come in and, and this type routine car patients can't no matter what they cannot yeah. fit in on these days and everyone was a bit oh, a bit nervous when they first did it and i've done this with clients as well and as soon as they make the change they go my god it filled up with the type of patients we wanted. And then slowly and surely, they just increase those times. So it's not as though they booked out, yeah, blocked out three days the following week. It was exactly this is what they're going to do. Started with half a day. 
but then half a day went to three quarters of a day, went to a day, went to a day and a half. And they just, like you said, it's, it's all about making deliberate actions, not just letting things, let, just letting things happen. No, I think that's a perfect segue into kind of the next segment, which is like knowing what you want less of. I mean, you obviously, when you went through that process, you knew what you wanted less of, right? Because you were yeah. willing to sacrifice those days or those hours in order to set aside time for the things that you wanted to do. But until you know what you don't want to do, right? And everyone knows what those are in their own practice, <laughs> but just take time to know what those are. And there's different kind of tactics or different ways to go about doing it. Like you said, setting those blocking, uh, time blocking, like you, you did is one opportunity. Maybe it's, you know, some people will just go cold turkey, right? I don't want to do any routine care yeah. anymore. I don't care. And I've got people that I've helped do that. And they just said, yep. And they and they just ripped the Band-Aid off, said, not doing it anymore. Drew a line in the sand and said, that's it. And it worked out for them. They said, <laughs> my God, all of a sudden, we just got full of all the type of work we wanted to do and no more routine care. And they were happy. No, exactly. And there's different ways to approach that cold turkey. So it's not just like you wake up tomorrow and you just implement this, right? It could be maybe for the next six months or a year, you're going to kind of create like a, a financial stockpile or like a reserve just to, just so you can weather any kind of storm that might happen, right? You know, we, we've been through a pandemic in the past. We've been through yeah. different aspects of things where, you know, if you want to make change or change happens to us um, unexpectedly, you know, maybe having a financial reserve so you can weather that storm where you're going to test it out for three months or six months to see if you can get away without doing the routine care. So there's different ways to kind of do this cold turkey. I'm not saying that people should be you know, irresponsible or rash implementing something like this, but one approach you brought up as well that um, I think it needs, like we talked about, keep saying the word deliberate, right? But if yeah. you're going to bring on, if, if you don't want to do the routine care, but there's still a pipeline of that and you can make some money along the way and you feel like you're providing, I think some people also get into things like, they want to provide specific types of services to patients in their local area, right? Maybe they're in a smaller place that doesn't have great care or um, they're concerned about what's going to happen to those seniors if I just cut people off. So, mm. you know, one option would be to bring on an associate to take over some of that stuff. Um, but like I said, it's not just something you want to fall into or like, oh, we have all these patients now, we should just bring on an associate. It should be much more planned out, much more deliberate. Um, making sure you're finding the right person. There's a lot of steps that would go into hiring an associate. This is not that that podcast where we're going to talk about that. I'm sure it might be a great topic for another show uh, in the future and how to maybe market one of your associates. But um, I think that is that is an option that uh, is is a worthwhile thing to explore. Um, but it should be something that's you know rushed into. Well, I think right from the start, it's one of those questions where people tell me they they're really busy and they want to make this change. I'll say, do you do home visits? And they go, yes. I go, do you like them? No, don't do them. It's really, really simple. Call up somebody, another podiatrist close by and say, can you do these home visits for me? I don't want to do them anymore. And get them doing it. Then look at the next type of patient that you don't enjoy or you just don't get any satisfaction out. It's not that you don't like the patients. If they've been patients that have been really long-term for years and you have a really good relationship with them, you may want to just keep them, especially if, if when you see them, it makes you happy. But if they're just the face that, drives you nuts when they come in if you can move those patients to your competition down the road and you can keep them busy seeing the type of work that you don't want to see that means the patients that you do want to see more of can't get into them which means you've got more chance of actually seeing them as well now i think that's a great point you know not only you know kind of leverage the the associate aspect of things but 
you know, you know, passing them along to the the other practices in town, it definitely is a, is a good option. Uh, one other way to kind of filter some of this care or some of these patients that you don't necessarily want to have in your practice is, you know, looking at your insurance plans or the, uh, you know, HMOs or the local, I don't know, different Medicare or uh, Medicaid type programs, things you just don't want to see anymore. Um, maybe it's just taking up too much of your time. It's, it's kind of, like I said, it's just filling in gaps in your schedule that you'd rather see other types of patients, yep. you know, understanding which providers are not paying you kind of what you're worth, right? I think everyone that's listening to this podcast today um, knows certain insurance providers or carriers who just, they're a pain to deal with. They, you know, they, they kind of send your claims back to you. They, they don't pay on your claims. They create almost more work um, for you and your staff to get paid than to actually receive the payment. Um, you know who those folks are. And being deliberate and kind of gradually chipping away at who you have um, kind of on your insurance roster or on your payer roster um, is one way to approach this as well. Yeah, and in Australia, that's like EPC bulk billing type patients. In the UK, it'd be probably a different group of people again. But it's it is it's like it's in Australia, it's more of these like government patients that are referred to you, and some of them just expect to be bulk billed, and everything has gone up. To run a practice these days has gone up so much, yet the payments you get from some of these insurers are just uh, not enough. And if you want to keep seeing them, that's fine. But if you want to make that change, that could be another another good place to start. I think you're kind of time blocking things that made me think of this as well. I know that occasionally I would get a, a workman's compensation patient into my practice. And to be honest, it would probably would have been helpful for me to have one half day per month just dedicated to that type of patient. Yeah. Because when it came to workman's compensation patients and i and i definitely understand that people get injured on the job um this is no you know shade on them but uh it would it almost throw off my entire morning or my my entire afternoon with the amount of paperwork i would have to fill out my staff would have to fill out to really um thoroughly understand the mechanism of injury um and the type of documentation needed uh to make sure that <laughs> all the checks, you know, all the boxes were checked and the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted because it would just be an enormous amount of time. But if I'd had that set away um, in a different time of day or I just didn't, you know, I chose not to do it. I, I enjoyed some of these patients, so it's not mm. like I wanted to get rid of them, but it's like how you organize your practice and being deliberate about it can really not only reduce your stress, but make sure you're providing great care to these patients. Have you got any other pointers on this one? No, I think that was, uh, you know, we said the word deliberate about 3,000 times. So I hope that's hammered in. I think that's a great word, deliberate. It's being really deliberate <laughs> in your actions, I think is really important. I think it's a great word. No, I think it's good too. I think it's word just a matter of, the year. of like, <laughs> well, it's a great way to end. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the year now, but um, and I think it is just one of those things where it sounds simple. Know what you want to do more of, know what you want to do less of and then kind of plot a course to make that happen. And I think not only will you, your, your patients benefit from this kind of narrow focus or um, being deliberate about things, but I think you'll also gain more professional satisfaction by knowing that you're actively pursuing what you want to do with your professional life um, can be extremely satisfying. Yeah, I totally agree. So Jim, I think we'll wrap it up there. I just want to wish everyone a... Oh, wish you a Merry Christmas first, Jim. And... I appreciate that. Happy holidays, Tyson. <laughs> yeah, I know. Happy holidays. So in Australia, we have Christmas Day and then we have uh, Boxing Day follows it. 
and they're, they're two, two public holidays. Well, of course, Christmas Day is a public holiday, and then Boxing Day is a public holiday. What about where you are? Do they have a Christmas Day, obviously? Do you have another day after that? Yeah, so I've been in Canada for 11 years, and since we're part of the uh, the British uh, Empire, we also have Boxing Day here in Canada. Oh, right, okay. I still So it's here in Canada, but it's in the U.S. I didn't grow up with it. But uh, yeah, a little uh, Boxing Day to uh, to celebrate the holidays with as well. So everyone listening to this, have a fantastic Christmas. Hope you um, yeah, hope you've been good this year. If not, <laughs> <laughs> what are the was it coal? Is it coal you're supposed to get in your stocking if you're bad? Yep, lumps of coal in the stocking. Lumps of coal. So anyone who gets coal this year, uh, yeah, bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jim. So I will talk to you after Christmas. And it'll be the last show for the year. So it's going to be, uh, we're going to do like a, a year review. Was that right? Yeah, yeah. We're going to uh, reminisce about the about 2022 and uh, plot a course for 2023. Yeah, and pull out all their best jokes. <laughs> Man, <laughs> it'll I, be a I short hope, show then, won't it? from between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jim, it's been great talking with you. Have, have a really, really good Christmas and uh, I'll see you on the other side. Sounds great, Tyson. You okay, too. bye. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Podiatry Marketing with Tyson Franklin and Jim McDonald. Subscribe and learn more at Podiatry Marketing. That's the website address, podiatry.marketing.